You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents, for to everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance." But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Welcome back to the Geared Ashley Mullet Show. This is Geared Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 306. This is January 19th, 2022 and a Wednesday and I've just read for you Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, the parable of the talents, as it's known shorthand, as Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven and what it will be like. And it might surprise a lot of woke diversity, equity, and inclusion folks to find out that this is in the Gospels. I just get that feeling. I get that feeling that if they knew this was in there, they would be shocked and appalled to find out how unjust, how unfair, how unfeeling, how cold and heartless Jesus is. 
But of course he isn't. He, he isn't cold and heartless. He isn't unfair. He isn't unjust. God is not unjust. This is part of the fabric of reality as God made it, as God designed it, as God has orchestrated it, as God has ordered the universe. This is just part of reality. This is the way that it is. And Jesus says as much. And it's not unkind. Actually, it's a great kindness for Jesus to tell us in no uncertain terms things like the parable of the talents. Now, what isn't being advocated here, clearly, given the whole counsel of God, is a materialistic perspective. But so also, it's passages like this which firmly oppose this Gnostic mind-body dualism, what's spiritual is good, what's physical is bad, dichotomy, which is as old as the New Testament, which is as old as church history, and I would say older still, but at least as old as our gospel, delivered once for all for the salvation of our souls. The kingdom of heaven is spiritual, but Jesus uses how we relate to something as material as investments to describe what the kingdom of heaven is like. God is not unacquainted with the material world, the material universe. He's not opposed to the material, the physical universe, our physical selves. He made all of it. He made us physical as well as spiritual. And as I write this book, and this is why we got married, I have to give a little bit of a spoiler, but a little bit of a teaser as well. I'll tell you what my book is going to be like. I have to contend with this trend in Christian nonfiction handling of the subject of marriage, where the topic of marriage is over-spiritualized. Over-spiritualized and what is practical, what is material, what is physical in marriage is de-emphasized. That is not a good trend. That is not a positive thing. Over-spiritualizing runs the risk of implying that there is something inherently defective with physical matter, with the physical world. And that, in turn, is a contradiction of what God's Word says. It's a contradiction of the Incarnation. This is what got the Gnostics in trouble. The Gnostics had a really hard time supposing that Jesus could be fully God and also fully man. They preferred the explanation that he only appeared to be a man, but that he wasn't really, he couldn't really be. That can't be. Surely not. So also, we typically, if we're not careful, if we don't study these things diligently and have God's word transforming and renewing our minds, we can be conformed to one of two very serious errors. The one error is to say there is no such thing as the spiritual. It's all lights and clockwork. 
We are only physical. We are only material. That's all there is. The other error, which is as bad or worse, is to say that we are only spiritual. The physical world, our physical bodies are an illusion. Let's just turn off any consideration of the physical because that would be unspiritual. The more spiritual we are, the less we care a whit about anything physical. That's not what God's word says. That's not what God intended. The parable of the talents and many, many other selections from the scriptures make that very clear. The fact that people would come to Jesus to hear him preach, asking for forgiveness of their sins, and that Jesus would heal their sickness. If they were unable to walk, he would allow them, enable them miraculously to walk again. They were hungry and he fed them. He raised the dead. He cast out demons who were physically oppressing people, terrifying people. He made people whole again physically. A withered hand, that's not too much for God. God can supernaturally heal that withered hand and make you whole again. Blindness, God can make you able to see again. But there's a physical thing that's happening there if your eyes don't work. And God is not afraid of that. He's not uncomfortable with that. He made that. And actually the promise is he's going to make us whole again. That's what Jesus performing those miracles was a foretaste of. But it's not either or. It's not either spiritual or physical. For that matter, the very fact that some of us are born with disadvantages and advantages, we can use the parable of the talents to help us understand. And the goal should be, if we're coming to God in humility, the goal should be that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds with all scripture, studying to show ourselves approved workmen who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, not taking it at face value necessarily if face value is skewed because our vision is failing, because we're coming to it with certain filters based on the education, the upbringing, the zeitgeist or spirit of this age, as it's also known. God's word needs to transform us instead of the other way around, where we come to God's word and we adapt it to suit our biases, what our culture is telling us, what our education system is telling us. So also with the parable of the talents, specifically the DEI folks, the diversity, equity, and inclusion folks are firmly refuted. DEI is predicated on the presumption that if we have inequality, that implies oppression and injustice. If this person has more wealth than that person, this person's rich, that person's poor, it could only be because the rich person has cheated or the system is broken. The poor person doesn't have because the rich person took from them or their ancestors took from the poor person. 
And yet, what do we find in the parable of the talents? The master gave different numbers of talents. Talents are just a unit of measurement, a currency. Think dollars. Think money. The master gives five talents to one servant, two talents to another, one talent to yet another. And one might imagine the master knows on the front end who is likely to be a good steward of this entrusting. There's probably already a track record, I would imagine, before the master gives this money, gives this money to these three servants and then goes on a trip. There's probably already an understanding that this servant is a wise investment. I invest in him. He, in turn, is going to invest my five talents and double my money. He's going to know what to do with five talents. This servant is going to know what to do with two talents. This servant, I'll give him a chance, but I've been burned before. He has a tendency to be lazy, good for nothing, passive, cowardly, selfish, disrespectful towards me. I'll give him a chance, but I'm not going to invest most of my wealth in him or with him because I'm not going to get a return on my investment. I'm going to invest five talents here, two talents here, and one talent. Eh, we'll see. We'll see what you do with it. I was watching The Princess Bride last night with my children, and a sure test for me whether we should watch The Princess Bride or some other classic film again, having seen it certainly before several times, even as a family. But the sure test for me is whether all of my children remember the movie. So the question, the testing question on the front end is, when was the last time we watched The Princess Bride? And if my younger children say, what's that? Uh, okay, well, there we go. It's been years, or it's been too long. I think it had only been a couple years at most. I don't even think it had been two years, but if Enoch and John didn't remember it at all, if Evelyn kind of remembers, if the older boys maybe were doing something else last time we watched it, it was a few years before that that we watched it the time before, well, then we're going to watch it again. The Princess Bride, by the way, small detour here, is a fantastic movie. That movie is just gold. It is so rich with great quotes, memorable characters. It's fun. It doesn't take itself too seriously, but it works because it builds off of a tried and true theme that is compelling and enjoyable and satisfying. The good guy gets the girl in the end. The damsel in distress is rescued from her pig fiancé. It is everything a Hallmark movie should be, but very often is a pale imitation of. But, alas, I digress. You have in The Princess Bride three servants, if you will, of... Prince Humperdinck. 
You've got Vicini, who is a super genius as he sees it. Just ask him. Plato, Aristotle, Socrates. Ever heard of them? Yes. Morons. <laughs> You've got Inigo Montoya, the Spaniard, the swordsman. Also has a little bit of a drinking problem. Also is obsessed with getting vengeance for the murder of his father, the swordsmaker. And then you have Fezzik, the giant. Strong man, tender heart, always seems to get used for his size and his strength, but really doesn't want to hurt anybody. Not truly, not really. He can, doesn't really want to. Poor guy. One by one, these three test the man in black and are tested in turn by the man in black. And one of them, only one of them, is completely about himself. The other two, hey, you know what? I don't know how I got roped into this, but they're trying to be a good sport. They really don't want to kill the man in black. They don't want, definitely don't want to kill Buttercup. But each one of them in turn has something that they're spectacularly good at. Vicini is a jerk, but he is a smart guy. Maybe not quite so smart as he thinks he is, but he's a smart guy. Enigo Montoya is an excellent swordsman, but he doesn't want to kill the man in black. He's tasked with it. He wants to be a good sport. He's going to have a conversation with the guy. He doesn't have an axe to grind with that guy. Now, he does want Count Rugen to get what's coming to him, to get justice. But otherwise, he seems more driven by love and friendship than by vengeance or greed or anything of the sort. Fezzik, probably just lonely. Alone before he was looking for something to join, looking for purpose and belonging. But he's strong, right? He's a spectacularly big, strong, imposing character. And what's so interesting to me is all three of those guys are very unequal. They don't all have equal brains, equal skill, equal strength. And how they apply and invest what they have is celebrated. Like, when was the last time you ever watched The Princess Bride and thought, you know, it's not fair, actually. It's just, it's just not fair that some people are better swordsmen than others. It's not fair that some people are stronger and bigger than others. It's not fair that some people are smarter than others. And by the way, not everybody gets a Princess Buttercup <clears throat> at the end of the film. There's only one. She doesn't want to marry Prince Humperdinck. Who could blame her? He's a jerk. The man in black, the dread pirate Roberts, Wesley, he gets the girl. And part of that is because he was the whole package. He was a complete person. And he invested himself wisely. And he's invested in her wisely. But you come back to this parable of the talents and... It's not hard to see in the parable that God gives 
unequal gifts. Some get five, some get two, some get one. And when you wisely invest yourself, God rewards that in the end. The universe is constructed, designed, ordered for us to be rewarded when we invest ourselves wisely. And when we invest ourselves poorly or not at all, we just bury what has been given to us in a field and sit there waiting passively, waiting, waiting, waiting. The universe that God made, he created, he designed, he ordered, punishes that. And rightly so. And it should. And God himself, in the parable of the talents, he's the master. God himself rebukes that. You wicked servant. You're going to be cast out into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You're going to be punished because you squandered what was entrusted to you. That's what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like. And the DEI folks who think we should all be the same, we should all be uniform, we should all be equal in all ways, are in rebellion against that. It's like a whole lot of wicked servants got together and said, you know what, this is ridiculous. How dare the master take our one talent and give it to the guy who's got 10 now because he invested the five and got five more. How dare the master do that? Who does he think he is? But the simple truth is, whether we're talking about wealth, somebody's been wise with their money, they saved up, they invested in the right businesses, the right stocks, they bought some equipment, and they started their own business, they went to school and paid their tuition, paid for their books, got a degree, now they got a job, they went to technical training, got a certificate, got a license. Now they're an electrician or they're a welder or something. They saved their money. They invested it wisely. They bought good quality stuff that was going to last, that was going to do what it was designed to do, what it was advertised for doing. They built their wealth. That is not sinful. That's not wicked. What's wicked is squandering what's been given to you. That's wicked. Jesus says as much. I'm not reading that meaning into the parable of the talents. That's what it says. That's what it means. The kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. The kingdom of heaven is like an investment portfolio. <laughs> the kingdom of heaven is like free market capitalism. You shouldn't get the same number of talents. And you shouldn't be able to keep the same number of talents as someone who has been diligent and careful and wise and hardworking, you just shouldn't. And for that matter, somebody who has been wise and diligent and careful and hardworking shouldn't get as few talents as someone who puts forth no effort. That's not fair. That's not just. The premise is all wrong. But of course, the premise starts with the rejection of God's authority. It's true when it comes to wealth. It's true when it comes to really anything. All the ways that we could be unequal. We're not all equally healthy. And that can be difficult. That can be frustrating. That can be challenging. I have 
some health conditions. I have asthma, for instance. What am I doing with it? Well, here lately, I realized I was being irresponsible to have stopped taking the uh, the medication, the medicine that helps to manage my condition. I was needing to use my rescue inhaler regularly, every day. Wasn't able to breathe very well. That negatively impacted my ability to work, to enjoy life, to enjoy my family, to be enjoyed by my family. And I repented of that. Started taking my asthma management medication. What's more, I started realizing when I step on the scale, I'm gaining a little bit of weight here. I need to rethink my portions or what I'm eating, how much water I'm drinking. I need to get some physical exercise. I need to be a better steward of what's been entrusted to me. God entrusted his property to me and I want to invest it well. Whether I have as much entrusted to me as other people do is a moot point. I think of Jeremiah Burroughs here in The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. I had a difficult time with that book at some points, at some turns, and I realized, and I, I told Paul Pavlik this, I was reading it with him. I told him up front, and I said, yeah, some of this I really, I'm not sure I like, but I'm not sure if that's because Jeremiah Burroughs is wrong or if I'm wrong, and I don't like that he's calling me out on this. I, I'll just be honest with you. I don't like some of what he's saying because I think, I think it exposes some wickedness in my attitude, in my way of thinking about these things. But Jeremiah Burroughs would say, are you counting your blessings as much as you're counting your trials? Are you remembering all of the ways that God has entrusted a good thing to you and thanking him for it? And are you choosing to see even the hardships as a blessing? That's what God's word tells us, is that even the hardships grow our perseverance, grow our faith, test our faith. And that is a productive thing if we embrace all of the above and respond faithfully. If we seek God's face in the midst of trials and we submit ourselves to his guiding hand, to his correction, to his discipline, it's a blessing that we should thank him for. Even so. And if we can't do that, we at least shouldn't grumble about it. We shouldn't grumble against God. We shouldn't be the wicked servant from the parable of the talents. As I'm writing my book, my next book, and this is why we got married, I have to deal with the fact that men and women are different. And when I say they're different, they don't have uniformity and they don't have equality in the sense of authority and capability. Right now, my wife is great with child, as I like to say. She's very, very pregnant. And we might go in for an induction next week if Andrew's not born this week. In fact, I'm I'm fairly certain we will. But I am not her equal when it comes to bringing Andrew into the world. It's very lopsided. She's able to do that. I'm not. And there's a big part of me that is thankful that I'm not, (laughs) that we are unequal in that way. 
And there's a part of me that wishes I could help her. I, I wish that I could do this with her and for her equally, but I, I can't. I can help her in some different way to do this thing, but at the end of the day, she does this thing, and I'm just going to try and serve her well as her husband. So also, let's just take my resume at this point. 10 years in oil and gas, coming up on a decade of working in the oil and gas industry. I have 10 years more experience in this industry than my wife does. Oil prices are expected to go sky high this year. And I have not just 10 years of experience, but I have 10 years of operations and automation and controls and instrumentation and programming and systems integration now experience in this industry. If I all of a sudden decided, you know what, my wife gets to stay home with its children all the time and not work outside the home, I'm going to quit my job or else I want her to go get a job and work for the next 10 years and I'll just, we'll just swap places, we'll trade places. And we're not equal in that regard. And she might wish sometimes that she could bring in as much of an income as I do. I don't know that she does. I don't, I don't know that she does, but she might. I think she's fairly content with her lot, but that's just it. I mean, writing a book about marriage, you have to reject. If we're talking about Christian marriage, we're talking about what God's word says about marriage. You have to reject equality as it's meant in our day and age. I don't mean reject equality before the law. I don't mean reject the fact that we're equal in terms of imago Dei. We're both created in God's image. Don't reject that. Male and female, he created them. God created man in his image. Male and female, he created them. But there's actually a great deal of beauty in embracing the fact that we're not all created in a uniform fashion. The Apostle Paul writes about this with regards to spiritual gifts in his first epistle to the church in Corinth. He says flat out that not all the gifts are given to all the members. Different gifts are given to the different members of the body so that there is a mutual dependency and a humility that's by design. If we reject that, if we kick against that, if we rebel, we are the wicked servant. Because you can't, you, you can't counteract that except by bullying everybody who has more talents than you into burying their talents in the field like you do. Hey, how come he got five talents and I only got one? I'll show you. I'm going to go bury my talent in the field. And then... I'm going to circulate a petition to get that guy with five talents to put his five talents in the ground too. Don't you dare invest those five talents and get five talents more. Our master's a hard man. No, 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 no. And on the flip side too, if you've been entrusted with five talents in some field, in some area of human capacity, ability, let's say you're very smart, let's say you're very strong. Let's say you're very skillful. Let's say you're very beautiful. 
Let's say you're very good with people. Let's say you have inherited a fortune and it's literal wealth, not just ability. Don't let the guy who squanders his talk you out of thanking God and honoring God with what has been entrusted to you. Don't let the jealous haters guilt trip you and manipulate you into redistributing your effort to flatter them, to ease their conscience. Work as unto the Lord, not for men. I got to leave it there, though. I'm making a conscious effort to shorten up, shore up, be more disciplined, better invest my time and yours with more succinct podcast episodes, especially here with this work from home. I said I'm not going to work from home like my wife does, but actually I'm, I'm getting this great opportunity to work from home right now. I hope it lasts. I pray that it lasts, but... Now that I have this better arrangement, I'm on a pretty good stretch. I don't know when the last time was that I recorded this many episodes so many days in a row without missing one. But it's a factor of being home, having a set schedule, being less stressed out. I'm so very thankful for it. And I want to invest it well. I want to invest this opportunity well in a way that pleases God in a way that sets a good example for my children, for my wife, for others, in a way that pleases God. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy of your master. But as always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.